Today, we have a giant guest joining the show as we are going to be joined by The Athletic's Daniel Popper, one of the best people putting out Chargers content anywhere. And we're going to talk about the Khalil Mack trade, all the biggest moves in free agency like J.C. Jackson and Gerald Everett, and also his latest seven-round Chargers mock draft, the Pop Mock 2.0 on today's Locked On Chargers podcast. You are Locked On Chargers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Chargers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome into the Locked On Chargers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade, joined as always by my co-host, David Drogmeyer. We've been covering the Chargers for over six seasons. We're heading into our fifth season as the host of the Locked On Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day thank you guys for making us your first listen and you won't regret it today as we have the athletics daniel popper joining the show but to make sure you never miss the show subscribe to the locked on chargers youtube channel and also follow the show for free on all platforms wherever you get your podcast from but here he is daniel popper all right guys well, we told you we had a big guest a guy we've been trying to have on throughout the off season just because so much crazy stuff was happened and we wanted to get his thoughts on it today we have the athletics daniel popper the beat writer for the athletic i mean if you guys haven't subscribed to the athletic just to get daniel popper's columns i don't know what to tell you guys because it's not just hey they signed this guy these are the four previous teams he played for the athletic is in depth and you're not going to find better offseason content and i mean the spreadsheets are nice, but there's a lot more on the athletic.com to get into, including his latest seven round mock draft. We are praising him before the show because it's crazy to think of doing all you know 10 picks that the Chargers have at this point with six in the sixth and seventh round. Daniel Popper, thank you for taking some time out of your schedule and coming to join us today. Thanks for having me. I, I love specifically coming on the Locked on Chargers podcast because I don't have to do any promotion for right. myself. Daniel does it all for me. So I don't even have to I don't even have to tell you to go to the athletic because by the time I get to talk for the first time, he's already given a better pitch than I can give myself. I mean, I've, I have a hard time with I mean, as anyone does with paywalls, even though it's like we pay so much more for way stupider things, you know, oh, that yeah. we have a monthly balance for. But like the athletic, I never have a problem paying or re-upping. I'm just upset that I can't get like the first time deal every time I get in there. But <laughs> Pop, Thank we haven't talked in a while. This offseason has been absolutely nuts so far, and it started even before free agency opened up with the move to bring in Khalil Mack. And, I mean, the aggressiveness, we got a kind of a taste for it right there to bring in that caliber of player, a defensive player of the year type of player. So when you saw that move, what did he make you think as far as what that is going to do, not only for Joey Bosa, but probably even elevating the rest of the guys on that defensive line? Yeah, well, I, the first thing I thought of was, okay, Brandon Staley's hands are all over this. His fingerprints are all over it, and he, he clearly has some influence here um, in terms of how the organization is running, the players that they're going to get. And, and, I, and I'll say this, you know, Tom Telesco, the general manager, has always done a really good job of listening to his coaches and getting the players that they want. That really hasn't changed, but trading a second-round pick for a 31-year-old player, a star player like that is not something he's ever done. And I've gone back and looked through all of his trades that he has, that he's made. All 11 of them, by the way. A lot, big number. But he'll, all 11 trades. Only twice has he traded picks for a player. Right. And both of them were conditional seventh-round picks. Um, one of them was, was Cardell Jones. The other one was a, a defensive lineman in, in 2013 with the Cowboys. So it's, it's not something he really does. The other thing that, that pops into your mind, right? So there's an organizational shift, and, and Brandon Staley is a big part in that. But I think there is an onus on ownership to win right now. You know, I, I think that you're seeing that because they went out and took on $17.75 million 
in the cap hit in Khalil Mack. They converted, you know, a good chunk of that into signing bonus that they paid to him up front. And you can go down and look at all of these contracts that they've given out. It's a lot of cash that they're spending. And they really feel like, okay, the time to win is now. We have to maximize Justin Herbert's rookie deal. And I know Tom Telesco and Brandon Silly both believe that you can win with a quarterback that isn't on a rookie deal. But the fact of the matter is it's easier to build a roster when you do have a quarterback on a rookie deal. And these moves, all of them that they made, starting with the Khalil Mack trade, are all an indication of, okay, it's time to put your money where your mouth is and go build a roster around Justin Herbert that can win a championship. Well, speaking of putting your money where your mouth is here, the Chargers definitely did that on the defensive side of the ball, signing another marquee free agent for the second year in a row. And they go out there and get locked down corner J.C. Jackson. How much do you think having a corner of that caliber will help Brandon Staley run the type of defense that he ultimately wants to run? Yeah, that's a great point because that's really what this was. He needs cornerbacks that can play man-to-man. And that's not necessarily because they want to play a lot of man-to-man. It's because the zone coverages that they play are matchup zones. Um, And so it effectively turns into man-to-man after the routes are run. And so they need guys that can cover one-on-one. And we saw that last year. I mean, you can go back to that Vikings game. That's a perfect example of what they didn't have, right? You go up against Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. You've got Tavon Campbell running around like a chicken with his head cut off, getting burned on third down after third down after third down. They just not did not have the cornerbacks at the top of the depth chart all the way down the depth chart to hang with top receivers. And that's what JC Jackson does. He, he, he travels with top receivers and he has outstanding ball production. He has a type of competitive toughness that Steeler really wants. And so all of a sudden, if you have a guy who can take away a top receiver who can play man-to-man like that and has that type of ball production, it allows Brandon Staley to call games differently. He doesn't have to hide players anymore because now you have a player like that at the top moving down. Everyone everyone that was higher on the depth chart last year is lower, right? So Sante Samuel is in your best corner. is your second best corner. Michael Davis isn't being asked to do more. He's now your third corner only coming on in certain packages. And that could change. They could add another corner in this draft depending on that first round shakes out and they could add even more to to um to that room and to that group but but this is going to allow him to call the coverages that he wants it's going to allow him to play more like he wants to play from a coverage standpoint that's what jc jackson brings to the table and that's why they felt it was necessary to go out and do it because we saw the limitations last year particularly on third down like obviously they couldn't stop the run they were getting into a lot of third and shorts but when they did get in those third and long situations they weren't covering well enough and they certainly weren't getting enough pass rush either now the pass rush wasn't awful but it still was bottom half of the league. And so what do you yeah. do? You go out, you trade for an elite pass rusher opposite Joey Bosa to hopefully rectify some of that those pass rush issues. And you go out and you get the top cornerback on the market to elevate yourself in those key situations, in those third down situations when the lights are on, big time moments when you have to come up with a stop. Now you have a guy who can go out and do it. And they were the worst team in the NFL on getting out the field on third down. And a lot of that did have to do with, you know, the run defense was a big part of it, having those third and shorts. But dudes were getting exposed on third downs of every length last season for the Chargers. That's how you get to that worst in the league number. And they were close to it in run defense. And obviously, you can see the big signings, pun intended, that they made to try to fix it with Austin Johnson and Sebastian Joseph Day. I mean, Joseph Day the leader in run stop percentage over the last two seasons. It doesn't get any more literal than that. I mean, bringing in and trying to fix that hole. But do you think that the Chargers feel content with where they're at at that position? Or do you think it's still kind of high on their list of priorities as we enter the draft? I think they're closer to what they want to be. In my opinion, I feel like they need to add one more piece. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that's Jordan Davis if he falls to 17. I I wouldn't rule that out. 
Um, maybe I, would, I just want to see that. I'm not even advocating, hey, that's who you should go for 100%. But like what that would look like, even if it was, you know, 70% of the snaps in a game, like that would just be really scary. <laughs> right. And it'd be interesting to me because you, you know, they signed Austin Johnson to be a starter. The money says that. Obviously, sure. they signed Sebastian Joseph Day to be a starter. Christian Covington is a guy who's a lot better in a rotational role. I went back and looked at the games where he played well versus the games where he didn't play well. And pretty much all of the games that he played well in were games that he played fewer snaps. You bring Jordan Davis into that group and he's not going to have to play 40, 45 snaps a game. He's not going to have to be a starter. He could be more of a rotational piece. Now you can spend a first round pick on a rotational piece. You know, that's sort of another story, but a lot of this came down to personnel and the type of guys that they want and how they play. They need size and length up front because they're asking their defensive linemen to, to eat blocks and take on double teams. And the players that they had in there, aside from Moonball Joseph, early in the season was playing really well, but obviously, yeah. you know, suffered a bunch of injuries. And by the end of the season, just wasn't himself anymore. But a guy like Justin Jones, for example, like his his strength is penetration. They drafted him to play the three technique and Gus Bradley scheme. And the job for that position in that scheme is to just penetrate, get up field, get up field, get up field. He was great at it, but that's not what they're asking their defensive linemen to do. They need guys that are going to be big and eat blocks and take on double teams. And that's what they got in these guys. I mean, Sebastian Joseph Day isn't the biggest nose tackle, but he's got incredibly long on arms and he uses that length to, to do exactly that, to eat blocks. And then Austin Johnson is just size. Like he's just a big dude. <laughs> just and dirt. you know, with Justin Jones, like we, I remember asking him in training camp last year, like what, you know, what are you weighing? Cause I remember there's an Instagram story that came out where he like was on the scale and people were wondering like, did he add weight? Did he lose weight? And he said he was playing at 284 and that's just not big enough to be, uh, you know, on the front in a brand silly defense. He just needs, bigger players. So from a personnel standpoint, they're in a better place in terms of what those guys do well. And then with Sebastian Joseph Day specifically, like he knows exactly what Brandon Silly is trying to do in the run fit. And that was an issue last year. Like they tried to, they tried to translate the scheme to those players, right. To Linval Joseph, to Justin Jones, to Jerry Tillery. And it just didn't work. Right. The first five weeks of the season were a disaster, really the first six weeks of the season. <laughs> yeah. And they went into that bye week and they actually tore the whole thing down. I remember talking to Ronaldo Hill, the defensive coordinator about it. Like they tore it all down. And they rebuilt the entire thing in terms of how they were trying to teach the run defense to their front. And that's why you saw it improve to a degree. But in Sebastian Joseph Day, there's none of that. You don't have to do that. This guy has played, you know, I I would argue that he played his best football in Brandon Staley's scheme. He corrected me at the press conference. He thought he was playing his best football last year before he got hurt. I would say that availability is the best ability, but you know, we can agree (laughs) to disagree. But but he's a guy that knows exactly what he needs to be doing in the scheme. And that's really going to help everyone because when you have a guy who knows exactly what he should be doing, that's going to help everybody. And then the other thing with the run defense is just, I mean, Khalil Mack is going to, is going to make everything yeah. better there, right? Like that guy's a legit run defender. And so when you have two guys on the edges and Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack that can, that can stop the run, it's going to elevate the defensive line. Joey wasn't great against the run last year. We like, we, we all watched it. He wasn't his usual self against the run. Just a lot of missed tackles, really sure. uncharacteristic for him. So you'd expect him to, to be more like himself, this season and i think we put all that together and you say okay have they fixed it no are they closer to fixing it yeah i would say so well and especially when he's surrounded by much more talent which i think has a lot to do with it as well yeah oh yeah without a doubt i mean that, that talent's going to elevate everyone around him but switching things over to the offensive side one of the the signings that they did a little bit later in the process is signing gerald everett and you know with gerald everett do you think that he's going to be an upgrade over jared cook yeah, well, I think they're going to ask him to do some slightly different things. I think with Jared Cook, they got really great value, you know, and it was it was between, it was basically Hunter Henry, right? If you go back to, to last offseason, it was Hunter Henry, and he had this massive market, and the Patriots gave him twelve and a half million dollars a year, and it's like that that was just too much money for Hunter. Yeah. Hunter's a great, a really good player, really solid player. Love to have him on the roster, right? 
just not worth that money. I mean, he played fine last year, but not worth $12.5 million a year. So what they do, they went and found a guy who was, I don't know, maybe 70% of what Hunter Henry could be as an all-around player, but they got it sure. for 33% of the price, less than that, because they only played Jared Cook $4 million. And from a production standpoint, he was great in terms of ele- helping elevate the tight end room and bring along some of those young tight ends. He was great in that department. And so it made a lot of sense, you know, in that specific instance. But I think they wanted to get younger. You know, I, I think, you know, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if Jared Cook announces his retirement. He's, you know, 35 at this point. He's had a fantastic career, but he, he's sort of towards the end of his career. And, you know, they, another reason they brought him on was sort of help translate that Saints offense because he obviously played with Joe Lombardi in New Orleans. But Gerald Everett's 27. They feel like he has a lot of upsides. So you're going out and signing a guy who you feel like, okay, we're paying for future production. And we feel like we know how to use him. And the one thing I'll say is, with a lot of these offensive pieces, you know, Brandon Staley, starting with him, had a vision for, okay, this is how we're going to use this guy and get the most out of him. You point to Mike Williams is the best example of that. So if he feels like, okay, I've been with Gerald Everett before in 2020, I had a vision for how we can use him and elevate him. Like, I believe that they're going to do that based on what they did in that first year. And what they believe he can do is be a real run after the catch type tight end. And that's not something Jared Cook brought to the table. Earlier in his career, absolutely. At this stage of his career, not much. So on those little – you know, check down routes where he's, he's going to the flat, you know, after chipping, right? Like Jared Cook would catch that after two yards and, and maybe get a yard or two and fall forward. They sure. feel like Gerald Everett can take that ball and turn it into an eight, 10 yard game. They can get him going in the slot, have Keenan Allen and Gerald Everett both inside on the same side, potentially use that to, to create some mismatches. Um, and so I think from a, from a run after catch yards after catch standpoint, they really feel like Gerald Everett has more to gain. He set a career high in yards after catch last season. And that's sort of, their vision from him. He won't bring anything from a blocking standpoint, but Jared Cook didn't really bring anything from a blocking standpoint right. either. So they're not losing much in that area. And they really, they really believe that Trey McKitty is like going to be a legitimate blocker. And I think we saw it on tape last yeah. year that he has that type of physicality. And, and we sort of saw him get into his rhythm as the season went on with it, with another off season to, you know, get healthier. Cause he was dealing with a little bit of a knee thing last year after he had surgery at Georgia, the previous season, he's healthier, a full off season to build his body, add strength, add mass. They really feel like he can be, he can fit that role as a blocking tight end and, and shoulder a lot of that, that load. And, and I just don't think they're ready to, you know, bestow that, that number one tight end role onto Donald Parham yet. I think they, they, they feel like he still has a little bit of growing to do uh, before he gets there. And, and so they went out and, and they got Gerald Everett, who they think is a young player with potential. And he seems like a guy that every year it seems like he's kind of underutilized. I remember thinking that with the Rams and then last season. I mean, he did that with a few games of Geno Smith and still had a career season. And he's much better at forcing missed tackles. Even if you look at PFF, they're going to have a similar yards after the catch per reception. Gerald Everett's a different kind of player with the ball in his hands in the open field. But we have so much more we want to get into with Daniel Popper from The Athletic, including his latest seven-round mock draft, Daniel Popper's mock draft. 2.0 and also what is going on with the Chargers offensive line because that's what everyone wants to talk about on Chargers Twitter so we have to get into that coming up right after this before we get back to Daniel Popper I do need to tell you guys about my favorite brand of sunglasses David's actually wearing my pair right now and I'm talking about Shady Rays I've had my Shady Rays forever but Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price that means polarized lenses well-constructed, durable frames, and premium high-end finishes. Also, something that you won't find anywhere is Shady Ray's insane protection program. It doesn't matter if you lose them or if you break them. Shady Ray's has you covered, and they will replace those sunglasses no matter what happened to them. Give them a try, and if you don't love them, you'll pay nothing. It's as simple as that. 
Plus, 10 meals are donated to Fight Hunger in America when you shop with Shady Rays exclusively for our listeners. Head to ShadyRays.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's code LOCKEDON, all caps, one word for their best deal of the season. 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. All right, we are back here with The Athletic's Daniel Popper, the best place to go for Chargers written content. For my money is The Athletic, absolutely worth this subscription. And Daniel Popper, you can also follow him on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper. But we have a lot more we want to get into with him, including the you know question that everyone asks us every day in every YouTube comment that we've ever had, which is about the offensive line. And I think the biggest question is, Daniel, especially, I mean, last year they had a heavy focus on the offense. This year, Brandon Stabley told us it's going to, I see the same thing, but I see it on the defensive side. He literally told us that and they went out and did that, but there wasn't as much of a focus on the offensive line. You, you know, they released Brian Belaga, which was obviously expected, but they didn't do anything else with the offensive line. So I was wondering if you were surprised that even after that move that they didn't go try to address it by bringing back an Odey Abushi, which could still be an option or trying to find, you know, maybe a, an average to, you know, starter level tackle to kind of fill in outright tackle. Yeah, so I wouldn't rule out Odebushi. That, that's still very much on the table. Um, I would imagine they wait until the draft, see how that sort of shakes out, what sort of value they get, because we don't know what's going to happen in the first round. They could absolutely take a tackle in the first round. That would change the calculus a little bit. But I wouldn't rule that out. So it's still a possibility to bring him back. As far as the free agent market, it just wasn't – the value wasn't there Sure. Um, on the free agent market. Um, and, you know, I know Morgan Moses signed, you know, three-year, $15 million with the Ravens. You know, I, I don't think the Chargers were ever really – interested in him for, for, you know, a number of reasons. Um, but, you know, I think they looked at it and said, okay, we don't really have the value here in free agency. That was the buzzword all off season was we're going for value and free agency value, value, value. They got it. You know, the JC Jackson deal is a great example of a, of a really reasonable contract that they signed. You know, usually when a, a corner hits the free agent market at his age, you know, you're talking about 19, $20 million a year. They, they didn't end up, end up getting there. So I don't think they saw the value. I don't think they saw an upgrade in free agency and so you know if the right tackle solution comes it will it will come in the draft you know but i wouldn't say i'm surprised just because last year was a little bit different they had nothing on the offensive line last year right. like literally nothing they had no, like nothing starting to work from with. scratch yeah it was literally starting <laughs> they let from everybody go literally everyone besides brian bulaga they let walk and and yeah bulaga was never going to play because you know his body's yeah. breaking down so they literally had nothing and so now you're heading in this offseason, you have some foundational pieces. You have one of the best centers in football in Corey Lindsley, who's going to be a force multiplier for every player on the offensive line. You have a franchise left tackle in Rashawn Slater, and you have a really damn good guard in Matt Filer who has flexibility. And so that's part of this. Like, Matt Filer has played right tackle before at a, at a pretty high level with the Steelers, and so they feel like they have options here, depending on how things shake out in the draft. You know, they could always kick Matt Filer out to right tackle if they end up in that sort of situation. Now, you know, I think they looked into the guard market during free agency, um, but I think a lot of those contracts were pretty pricey. Obviously, they spent a lot in free agency last year on yeah. offensive linemen, you know, the Lake and Tomlinson, for example, good player, but signed for a lot of money. Um, and so, you know, you're in a situation now where you're pretty flexible. You know, the Chargers are pretty flexible right now. So let, let's like go through some options. I know we're going to get to this a little bit later, but like, let's say Penning, right? right. Falls to... 17 okay all of a sudden you feel like that's great value at 17 you take penning put him at the, the out of northern iowa you put him at right tackle you keep matt filer at left guard you have brendan hymas if you are able to re-sign ode bushi on the cheap all right you're, you're looking okay yeah right say that doesn't happen 
And, and right at right tackle, honestly, out of the guys that are out there right now, your own left guard is probably the best option, right? Like Matt Filer is probably better at right tackle than the other band-aids that are potentially still floating around out there. But yeah, like there are other ways you can put it together. It sounds a lot better than obviously what it is right now. Right. Or, or let's say, okay, uh, the Steelers really want to jump to 17 from 20 because now the Saints are picking at 19. They might take a quarterback, right? Okay, maybe you can recoup some draft capital. Let's say it's pick 84. You move back to 20, you take Zion Johnson, who's a plug-and-play guard out of Boston College. Then you move Matt Fowler to right tackle, right? So you have options here. Or say you, you like a guard, you know, in, in, in the third round, for example. Um, another, you know, I, I mocked a potential guard to, to the Chargers. I'll, I'll, I won't give a name out, but you can go check that out in my in my mock draft. But let's say they, they like a guy in the third round. You bring, you know, a guard in, you kick Matt Fowler out to right tackle. You know, and they so they have options. They feel like they have guys that have, um, you know, tackle guard flexibility like i think there's a possibility that we see trey pipkins working at guard during training camp um this coming you know training camp potentially in the spring as well like i think that's certainly on the table so they feel like they have some pieces i think what you're going to do here is you're going to have your two foundational pieces that are entrenched Corey lindsley and and rashawn slater you have Matt father who can play multiple positions and you're just going to add talent through the draft maybe after the draft you can bring back ode abushi make some make a, a um you know a reasonable signing there a value yeah. signing there and then you can sort of go into the spring and summer and just sort of work through your combinations around those two foundational pieces and see what works best so i don't think it's anywhere close to as bad as last year and i understand the frustration i, I want to say that like yeah. i i get it because like i'm watching this i had to watch this offensive line you know storm every week. too sure yeah, right i know it and and i will tell you this the chargers are aware of you know how storm played when he played poorly i think there's some feeling internally that like the bright moments were pretty bright and they feel like you know, it's just a matter of consistency with him. And they feel like, you know, the, the bad moments are the ones everyone talks about. Um, sure. And everyone's he had some good, good games, moments. let he alone had, moments. Yeah. He had some really good games. It was just sometimes followed by a 10 pressure game. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And when you, when you play like that in the last game of the season and Max Crosby's beating you snap after snap, after snap, after snap, that everyone's going to remember that. With that being said, like protecting Justin Herbert on the edge is definitely important. And so the possibility of kicking Matt Fowler to right tackle is is much likelier now than it was last year. Because last year, they really wanted to make sure that Rashawn Slater got off to a good start. They wanted to make sure he had the most infrastructure around him to make sure that he was successful. But now you've got a stud there. Like, he's going to play well regardless of who's next to him. So now you have the flexibility to move Matt Fowler around. I think they're in a pretty good spot. Like, I think they can head into this draft and really go in a number of different directions. They like a tackle. They like a guard. Uh, because of that flexibility with Matt Filer. So I actually think they're in a decent spot, but I think they do have to bring in depth here in the draft. Like they have to target a player and bring somebody in who could potentially compete for a starting spot, even if they bring Ode Ibushi back. Yeah, well, I think the tough thing about it too is just that like we've only seen really Tom Telesco bring in one really good offensive lineman. So I think that's where I get it from the Chargers fan base, and it's Rashawn Slater, right? There's a lot of hits, you know, swings and misses in those other third and fourth round you know, players that they've taken at the offensive line position. So I think that's probably where a lot of the hesitancy comes from, which is fair. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, we have more with Daniel Bomber, more great stuff to get into. But I do have to tell you guys, I had to take a little snack break to talk about my favorite protein bar. And of course, I'm talking about Built Bars. And Built Bars are the treat that you didn't know you needed because they are the best tasting protein bar on the planet and definitely on the market. Get rid of all those chalky, waxy, chemical spill tasting protein bars that have like three flavors go with bill bar they have a ton of flavors to choose from crazy 
great flavors to choose from. Right now, you can go brownie batter as a flavor, or you can go with some of my favorites, the classics like cookies and cream. It's always good. Peanut butter brownie. You could even go mint brownie, cherry barcia, caramel almond apple delight. Like there's just so many great flavors to choose from. And all the bars are probably going to fit on whatever diet you're trying to do. Right now, I'm trying to lose weight for my wedding. They have literally saved me so many days when I need something that tastes good because the rest of what I'm eating doesn't taste great. Built Bar is there for that, and most of the bars have 17 grams of protein while having around 130 calories and less than 4 grams of sugar and 4 grams of carbs. That's going to fit on pretty much everything, especially all the you know low-carb diets that are going around. Plus, they taste great, right? It's like you're eating a candy bar 100% covered in chocolate, soft and easy to chew. And the only thing better than having something that tastes great is saving money on something that tastes great. And since you listen to this show, you can go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15, all caps, one word for 15% off at built.com. One thing that's really shown itself over the past couple of seasons, though, is how much of an impact Brandon Staley has had on general manager Tom Telesco. Has it surprised you at all that he has had so much power, um, at least Staley, uh, so far this early in his career? No, I don't think it's surprising. Like, you know, and I said this earlier, Tom Telesco has always done a good job of listening to his coaches and finding players that they want. Like Kenneth Murray was a really good example of that. Um, you know, the Chargers staff from Anthony Lynn to Gus Bradley felt like they needed um, a difference making linebacker who could run sideline to sideline. They wanted someone they could develop into, you know, a Bobby Wagner into a Fred Warner. Obviously those are lofty expectations, but that was the vision there. And, mm. and so Tom Telesco went and, and traded up back into the first round to get Kenneth Murray. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't think it's surprising that, you know, Brandon Staley's having influence because he's saying to, to Tom Telesco, listen, like our defense was awful last year. I need players. Like, this is what yeah. I need. I need a, I need a, I need a shutdown man corner. I need a difference maker on the edge. Like these are the things that I need to take the existing players and turn it into something that's not the 26th ranked defense in, in DVOA or the 28th ranked defense in EPA for <laughs> so like these are like these are the things I need and, and Tom Tulsa is going out to do it but a, a large part of that as well is okay how aggressive is ownership going to be sure. um in terms of pa- like paying footing money the bill signing yeah. bonus, footing the mill yeah like how how aggressive are we going to be as an organization in terms of in terms of using cash to to go get players and, and I think you're seeing um an alignment here of ownership of a coach and of, of a general manager that want to win they want to win right now because they have Justin Herbert and, and it's time. And, and I think all that's coming together um, to, to, for these moves um, that Brandon Staley is really asking for. But I don't know if it's a, a massive shift in terms of, you know, how Tom Telesco has operated and has wanted to operate. I think just the circumstances are a little bit different for the organization as a whole. Yeah. And I mean, you have a different guy, you know, pulling the strings down and Brandon Staley, who also has a very aggressive mentality. And it's hard to kind of separate those two things. Like it feels like they're taking his mentality into the off season, just as they did on the field last season. It's just part of their DNA. Now it seems like which Chargers fans should absolutely love. It's a very exciting time, but you also talked in your latest seven round mock draft, the popper mock 2.0, which you guys can find on the athletic. If you don't subscribe, I, like I said, I just don't know what to tell you. You just won't spend money on anything. Stop paying for gas. Get the, the athletic subscription. It's more important. But your fifteen dollar yeah. mochas. You also <laughs> talked about yeah. <laughs> you also talked about you know how much the Chargers did in the draft or in the free agency to kind of free themselves up in the draft. They gave themselves a lot more flexibility because you don't feel like they have to bring in another edge rusher opposite of Joey Bosa or have to bring in a corner because we know how much they needed cornerback help. 
And you ended up going with wide receiver Chris Alave from Ohio State, who, I mean, for my money, I don't believe he's getting to the 30s like some mocks have it. Like, that dude just seems way too good for that to happen. And I just one of the cleanest prospects I've watched so far. It's just hard not to watch when the dude just gets open, gets open easily, and also has the deep speed. That fits what Brandon Staley said, right? Because he said, I don't need a guy who can just get there. I need a guy that can threaten everyone else with everything else he can do, but also get there. So when you were going through and you had some good options available to you, what made you end up uh, deciding on Alave? Yeah, so it, it's just the circumstances, right? Like there aren't any elite quarterback prospects in the draft, and that changes everything. And so it's hard to see any of these top four tackles, you know, Penning Cross and then uh, Eknowu. The guy I even mean, yeah. looked at him because <laughs> Icky, yeah, had, yeah, Icky. <laughs> Um, well, and you had four last year, right? You had four quarterbacks taken before you had 13, which really helps you to get Rashawn Slater, right? That's huge when you have Justin yeah. Herbert. So it feels like people are going to – teams are going to be investing in tackles because, you know, as I wrote in the mock draft, like the hardest position to fill is quarterback, obviously. The second hardest position to fill is tackle because there just aren't that many human beings – built with the requisite size and athleticism to play the position. Like you're hundred percent like, right. About right. That. And, yeah. and yeah. you need two of them and you need two of them now because it's not just the left tackle that needs to pass protect because a lot of the best pass rushers in the league are lining up over the right tackle. So you need two of them and they're really, really hard to find. So it's hard to see any of these legitimate tackle prospects. That the yeah, top just ask four. Chase Young. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Max Crosby lines up mostly on, you know, the right tackle side of things too. Like yeah. just dudes are always going to be a problem. Yeah. So, so Icky, Evan Neal, you know, out of Alabama, Penning and, and Cross out of Mississippi State. Those are the four. I feel like they're all going to go before 17 just because of the, the demand for, for tackles and the lack of quarterback prospects. So, okay, you keep moving down the list. Jordan Davis, you know, obviously there are some concerns because he didn't play a ton of snaps last year, right? I think only 38% of the snaps yeah. was his elevation in play and his increased production related to fewer snaps and being fresher, or did he actually get that much better? Right. That's a debate, right? Yeah, but, he had a loaded front too. Yeah, yeah, he's—I mean, he's a freak. Like he's—he's. He's I wrote <laughs> this. He's—he's a, he's a singular athlete. Like there aren't, there's no one else built like him. And yeah. in the NFL, like you're a lot of a lot of teams are betting on traits, and like there aren't anybody, there isn't anybody in this draft or on the planet that has traits like Jordan Davis. So is he going to make it to 17? Probably not. Okay, so yeah. you move to cornerback, right? Does Trent McDuffie get there? Obviously, a little bit undersized, but um he's a a polished player he has the competitive toughness play inside he can play outside he's a willing run defender does a corner like that with that kind of tape make it to 17 maybe he made it to me in our beat writer mock but i was really surprised corner is another position that that teams are going to invest in so you start going on the list it's like dream scenario right one of those players is there but if they're not what are you left with well the value value is going to be at receiver and and I'm, and it's like, okay, the Chargers want a guy who can run a full route tree, but has that deep threat, right? That speed. And a lot of it fits that bill, obviously. Jamison Williams obviously fits that bill as well. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about a guy who, if he didn't tear his ACL in the college football playoff, is probably the consensus top receiver in the draft. And Easy somebody's top gonna, 10 pick, yeah. Right. Somebody's going to make that bet before, yeah. before 17. And so, you know, you're sort of left there like, okay, where are they going to get the value? The value is going to be a receiver. And they're in that position now where they're really in best player available mode. Like that's usually a myth, but for them, it's true. It's like, what is going to give you the most value at 17? And just with the the scenarios that I see most as being most likely, it's going to be one of those receivers. Like maybe Garrett Wilson's there, you know, maybe Chris Olave is there. I mean, if if Jameson Williams is there, 
right? It makes a lot of sense, but a lot of it fits exactly what they're trying to do. And the other thing is, you know, Drake London is getting a ton of buzz, but he doesn't fit what the Chargers need. So you could potentially have a wide receiver needy team go get take Drake London, and that kicks some of these speedier, speedier, speedier wide receivers further down in the draft. But Drake London's like a Mike Evans type. He's a Mike Williams type player, yeah. right? Big body, 6'5", um, you know, Redundant skill set, though. I guess aggressive at the the catch. You want him to get drafted before 17. Exactly. If you're charging him. Yeah, I think that's super likely. You know, he went before 17 in our B-Rider mock draft. And um, so if he goes, that's going to only give the provide more wide receiver value for them at 17. So I spent like a lot of time thinking about this because I was like, you know, like, you know me, like, it's tough. Like, like, I'm going with Trevor Penning, like he's going to get there. It's like I see it in a lot of mock drafts. I'm like, okay. This is the pick. This is the pick. But I'm like, what is most realistic, right? Considering right. the quarterback prospects, considering how it's probably going to shake out, it's probably one of these speed receivers. And a lot of it just makes so much sense. Like if, like Brandon Staley is explaining what he wants in a, in a speed wide receiver, it's this guy, you know, because he it has is. he has that route running ability. He can run the full tree. He's not just a deep threat. He can operate it at all three levels of the field. Um and he runs a four three eight, right? And so like I still remember when it was a four two six too. I mean, he was right. gonna be the first overall pick for a second there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and he showed up in big games, right? In in the college football playoff, playing against the best competition. Like that matters for Brandon Staley. I know that for a fact. And so it it just makes a lot of sense. And and one thing that I that I've sort of learned covering the NFL over my time is that it, it is a wise strategy to make your strength stronger. Like a lot of teams go that route. Like if you have a, a part of your team, that's really, really, really good. Making it even better is a smart strategy and it usually works out for you. Like you look at what the bang, what happened with the Bengals? Everyone's like, all right, they're set at receiver. Well, Jamar chase was there. They went and got him and yep. look at what their offense became. You, know? yeah. so you think about, so you think about what this offense could be, right? Like that was the element they were missing. Like it was a super efficient offense, right? Mm-hmm. They were prolific. They scored a ton of points. They were great in terms of efficiency metrics, whether you look at DVOA or EPA per play, but what were they missing? They were missing, that speed threat. And they had Jalen yeah. Guyton, but you can get a lot better than Jalen Guyton. And on top yeah. of that, having multiple guys that can access that part of the field with speed, right? Because Mike Williams can get there. It's just a different type of skill set when he gets to that part of the field. Right. And so you, you put all that together, scenarios fit all of it. And it's just like, that's the guy. It makes too much sense. Yeah. And to go further along with your point, like look at the Rams. They added Odell Beckham when they still had Robert Woods, right? You go back before that with the Tampa Bay Bucks. They had Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. They went out and signed Antonio Brown. Like teams are doing this. They're adding to their strengths and they're not trying to, you know, maybe reach to fill a weakness. They're just getting the best player possible, which is what every general manager says that they want to do when things start. And one other thing that, that I want to add, and I didn't actually include this in my mock draft just because there's too much to write, but, but everything else is in there. I promise. Everything else, yeah. <laughs> and and I'll probably, I mean, it's like a, it's a down the road type topic. So putting it in my back pocket, but the Chargers do have to start thinking about life after Keenan, right? Sure. Like there, there has to be, there has to be an exit strategy, you know, if Keenan, you know, starts to decline. And that's because of the like, contract numbers, because of how that contract's going to blow up over the next couple of years. The right. And they, playing right. Out. And so they have an out next off season. They can get out of that contract after next off season. And so, what we're not saying like? they should. We're no, saying I'm keep saying, your mind open. <laughs> right, right. I, you know, everyone knows how I feel about Keenan Allen. He's one of the best receivers in football. Um, but you have to have contingency plans. Like if you don't, if you bank on a player that's approaching thirty, over thirty, to continue playing at that level, yeah. that's just that's just not doing your job correctly. You have to have a contingency plan. So if you take a really great wide receiver in Olave, right? Josh Palmer proved last year when Keenan was out with COVID that he can go play that position. He's not necessarily going to be Keenan, 
but he's going to no. be he's going to be a viable threat there in the slot. So say you want to move on from Keenan after next offseason. Now you have the possibility of doing that because you got Olave, you've got Mike Williams, now you've got Josh Palmer. You can be your slot guy, right? And so that's part of the calculus as well. You have options. Yeah, of course. And every team wants to have those options. And I mean, if we've learned anything from Tom Telesco, he's always thinking about the future, right? You can't talk without talking about, hey, I still have to sign Justin Herbert here pretty soon, right? I still have to sign Derwin James here pretty soon. So you can only have so many of these ballooning contracts because every contract is going to have a small hit the first year. But those they're now, you know, a lot of those are going to be happening at the same time now. But as of right now, most of those are going to happen before Justin Herbert's big money starts kicking in. Like Khalil Max deal will be done. Keenan Allen's deal will be done. So will Mike Williams. So they still have a lot of flexibility there. But yeah, I mean, if one of those guys are there, they're the best player and they take your offense from being, you know, top five to top two, you know, potentially number one. <laughs> you have to entertain it. And it might be the best possible scenario for you at that pick even if Trevor Penning is there potentially. But that's just my opinion. Daniel Popper, thank you so much for coming on. Like I've told you guys, make sure you go to The Athletic and subscribe there. So much great stuff. It's not just Chargers either, but the Chargers are my favorite part of the content. So much good writing, so much good draft coverage as well. So make sure you guys check out The Athletic and subscribe there and follow Daniel Popper on Twitter at Daniel R. Popper to see all of the content because he's posting it all on there. And Daniel Popper, thank you so much for coming on and having fun with us and just really giving such great insight on the team. Thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. All right. Well, a special thank you to Daniel Popper. He always comes on and crushes it. And like I said, subscribe to The Athletic. It's it's a great service with great Chargers content out there. And we'll try to have him on again soon for sure. But that is going to do it for today's show. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow, probably talking about which individual players have benefited most from the Chargers offseason so far. And have the Chargers helped out Justin Herbert enough? And we just talked about the offensive line. That's a question I want to get into. But to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe to the Lockdown Chargers YouTube channel and also follow the show for free on all platforms wherever you get your podcast from. You can also find the show every day on our social media. You can find me on Twitter at DanTalkSports, David Drogmeyer on Twitter at DrotalkSD, and the show's Twitter at LockdownLAC. And we also post the show to our at Lockdown Chargers Instagram page, and also our Locked On Chargers Facebook page as well. Fan Friday is coming up quick too, guys. So if you guys want to get your voicemails on the show, the number is 323-524-7924. And we'll also be putting out posts on all social media so you guys can get your questions on the show. But we'll be back with you guys tomorrow. Until then, take it easy and go Bolts.